challenged by this uh, message series, and uh, I'm having to think really hard. And somebody told me last week I got a I got a text, I got a text from somebody that had listened to the sermon that wasn't here, and, and so this was what their their text said. That was a lot of information. That was all they said. So I didn't know how to take that. And I, I tell you, that as I study. I, I knew I didn't much. I didn't know much about the end time, and Brother Bob could probably give you a, a real brief on that. I don't know a whole lot about the end time, but I'm finding out I know less about the end time than I thought I knew. So uh, it is a challenge, and uh, I'm glad that Jan sang the song. Here's the bottom line: If you don't know anything about the end time, Christ is coming again, and you must be ready. And aren't we glad that he's given us this life for a couple of purposes? The children's catechism says, uh, what is man's chief end? To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That's our purpose here. The second purpose is to get ready for the return of Christ. I, I, I can't give you all the details, but he's coming again. And so we're building upon that as we go. And by the way, uh, verses 1 through 28... Uh, there is some uh, oh, uh, controversy over those verses, but we really began to have fun next week trying to flesh all this out. So it, it's time to dig in uh, uh, to, to what we're looking at. So we are looking at the Olivet Discourse. I won't give you a whole lot of prep on this. You know where we got the name. Jesus was up on the Mount of Olives. His disciples came to him and are on the way up to the Mount of Olives. Uh, they look at the temple and say, you, you see that magnificent temple? And Jesus said, you see that temple over there? I tell you, there won't be one stone left upon the other soon. So they get up on the Mount of Olives. And so the disciples are there, only the disciples, not the crowds, not the Pharisees, not the Jews. He's left them behind. He's up on the Mount of Olives. And his disciples ask him this question in verse 3 of chapter 24. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? That's the question. So it seems to be that there are three questions here. What should be the sign of the destruction of Jerusalem, of his coming, and what's it going to look like at the end when Christ returns? So that's kind of where we're at. Our Lord at another time told them it was not for them to know the times or the seasons. I've spoken a little bit about this. I thought, I think to myself, this would have been the perfect time for Jesus to lay it out. Here's how it's going to happen, right? He didn't do that. Uh, I, I don't know why he didn't do it that way. Well, I kind of got a feeling about it. Listen, you know what I think Jesus wants us to do? And I think what's good for us to do is not to know the time so that we are constantly expecting his return. If we could figure it out, if we, if we knew it was a certain year, then we'd probably change the way we live. No, we live every day expecting his return. And, and when you're doing that, that is a safe way to live. 
It is a good way to live. Live, listen, He is coming again. Do we know the day, the time, the month, the year, the hour? No, He is coming again. We know this. Be, there you go. So, uh, a couple of thoughts for you. Uh, I'm not sure these are in the notes. You've heard them. In, in verse 4, he said, Do not be led astray. Don't give up on Christ. Don't let somebody tell you there's another way to get to heaven except Christ. Don't be led astray. Number 2, in verse 6, Do not be alarmed. Are y'all hearing this? Uh, we, we were just talking about this morning. I tell you, a lot happens over fellowship and coffee about 7.30 or 8 o'clock. Now, I know some of you are doing good to get here at 8.30. Some of you are doing good here to get here at 10.50. But a lot happens. And, and I'm telling you, two years ago, uh, two years ago, we would not have believed if somebody told us what Target was selling in their stores. So, listen... It's gotten crazy. It's going to get crazier. And it's going to get bad. Don't walk around doing this and telling people you can't believe it's happening. He said, he said, do not be alarmed. I told you it was going to get crazy. It's going to get bad. The third thing, just be what? Be ready. And look, listen, keep this in mind. You don't know when he's coming, but listen to me. When, when, he, when the clouds split, when he appears, everybody's going to know that's Christ. He's here. So you don't have to, if somebody's going around, I, I, I tell them on, on Mondays and Tuesdays, I, I tell them, I said, look, there, the next time that door swings open, somebody may walk in and tell you guys, I'm the Christ. I said, you can snicker, you can do what you want to do. But if he has to tell you he's the Christ, he's not the Christ. I, I don't understand it all. I don't know how it's going to happen from the east to the west. And everybody will know at that moment that Christ has appeared. It's going to happen that way. So last week we looked at verses 15 through 22. And we're picking up at 22 this week. Uh, we looked at the possibility that people may have to flee. But listen, there's always danger in fleeing. You know, you're leaving your security behind. You've turned your back on the enemy. But there may have to be, and what we looked at, listen, you've got to choose what's worth dying over, what's sacrificing your family's over. And so sometimes you might have to flee. That's a possibility. Don't forget the Lord's Day. Don't forget the Lord's Day. There's a, there's a reason He gave us a day of rest. Are y'all with me? And that reason is so we can stop, we can get off that proverbial wheel and take time to remember that God Almighty is God. He's got a Son, Jesus Christ. We're to worship Him, and He's coming again. Now look, you got, okay, so you miss this Sunday? You miss next Sunday, then you come back, and then you miss three or four in a row, and all of a sudden it's been a month, and you've never even thought about the Lord. He gave us a day, the Lord's day, a day of rest, to remember Him and to refresh our thinking. And the third thing we looked at, and we're going to look at it more this morning, 
God never forgets who His are. He never forgets who His are. He's not lost one. He's not going to lose one ever. We're going to look at that this morning. Just two points this morning. The assurance of our salvation, standing on the promises. You know what? We, we are not assured of our salvation about anything that we've done. Nothing that we've done assures us of our salvation. Our assurance is in the finished work of Christ on the cross. Are you with me? So we stand on what Christ has done. Somebody say amen. And when we stand on what Christ has done, we have victory in who? Jesus. So, man, great singing, great specials, great song. I've already shared this verse uh, with, with somebody this morning. Something that they wanted to happen this summer didn't happen. And so we were talking about why. And so... I told her to look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. God's got a plan. We look for Him. We look at His plan. And we are secure in Jesus Christ. The second point is this. What we are looking for is a sudden return of Christ. Y'all get me? This won't happen over days. This will happen in an instant. So what is our assurance of salvation? How do we know we're saved? How do we know that we're saved? That's what we're looking at. And we're looking at the second point. We are looking for His appearing to be bodily and imminent and a sudden event. Now, the destruction of Jerusalem was terrible. Tom shared this with me. He's got, he's got a copy of, of Josephus' writings. I said, so, is it that thick? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, is it that thick? And he said, no, it's about that thick. Okay? It, it, it is quite a writing. And, and his historic, this is a non-Christian, his historical account of what happened at the destruction of Jerusalem is so right on with Scripture. And he was a lost man. The followers thought that the destruction of Jerusalem would be followed immediately. As soon as that happened, Christ to come back. It didn't happen, did it? 2,000 years, we're still looking. Amen? But we're 2,000 years closer today than we were then. So remember the original thought. The apostles thought that when, there, when the Jerusalem was destroyed... Almost immediately, Christ was going to come again. And, and just listen to this. All of the craziness that's going on, all the wars and rumors of wars, and I don't know how much, how, how much news you listen to, and, and I don't listen to any, any really any news anymore. Uh, I try to get it from somewhere else. But, but uh, there are lots of smart people that think we're headed for a nuclear war. And, and I, think, I think people forget how bad a nuclear war will be and how much death and destruction. Do not be alarmed. If someone says, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, are you with me? Don't believe it. Don't go to look. 
If somebody says he's out in the wilderness, don't go out there. It's not him. If they say, look, he's over there in that room, don't believe it. Don't be taken in by all these sightings. Bottom line, there will be no signs of his actual return. It will be sudden and it will catch everybody off guard except us because we're looking. Like lightning from east to west. No adequate warnings. How about this? Much more sudden than the flood. Took Noah 150 years to build the ark and and so they'd never seen it rain and that was a little bit of a buildup. Much more sudden than that. How about when the earth split open and swallowed Cor and his family? Pretty immediate, right? But much more, much more sudden than that. How about the parting of the Red Sea? Or how about one morning they got up and 185 Assyrian soldiers are dead? Much more sudden than that. So what should my attitude be? So what have we discerned so far? All right, here's that word again. Be what? All right, how do you know you're trying to be ready? And Jan just sang the song, right? Be about the Father's business. Be about the work of the Lord, living for His glory, living in radical obedience to His commands, striving to love the world less and Him and others more and more, striving to advance His kingdom through the local church, And lastly, living and expecting the sudden, imminent, and bodily return of Christ. That's how you stay ready. So let's look at the text. I'm going to come back to verses 22 and 24 when we get through with 23 through 27. So I want, to, I want to start in verse 23. I'm going to read it to you. Then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, there, there he is. What's those words say? Do not believe it. All right, so let's go to verse 25. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. Or if they say, look, he's in the inner rooms, do what? Do not believe it. Now listen, it was really bad in Jerusalem. And it will be really bad at the end. It will be really bad. These verses must be understood with reference to the Jewish nation. The Jewish nation, the Jewish religion was about to come to an end. Spurgeon says this, and and look, there are... For you that are listening to these sermons, for you that are here today, you're going to be held more responsible than someone that's never heard the message. More responsible. Spurgeon says this, forewarned is to be forearmed. So when you've been warned, then it's your responsibility to be armed and ready. And we're going to look at this when we get over to chapter 45. If you, uh, 25, if you... There's no chapter 45 in Matthew, is there? Chapter 25, listen. If you knew when the thief was coming, right, what would you do? You'd stay up, you'd be armed, and you'd be ready. 
It's much more so with the return of Christ. Jesus knew that many had been taken advantage of. Why? Because these people were still looking for an earthly king to stop the Roman government. You with me? And then remember those people that did flee and they went up to Pala, they went up to the mountain town, uh, mountain town across the Jordan. Those people had fled, so they get over there and there's people that follow them over there and they're trying to convince them that we're, this Jesus is going to be this earthly king. Bad times. Remember in verses 4 and 5, he said, Do not be led astray. Many will come claiming to be the Christ. Jesus cautions his disciples against such. He tells them again, these people will come. They just need to watch and to be what? Ready. And then we're going to look at verses 22 through 24. And I'm... I've been blessed to have had to think about this this week. I pray that you're blessed by it. I want to tell you there's a blessing to know that your salvation is assured. Well, let me give you another great word here. It's good to know that your assurance of your salvation does not depend upon you. Verse 22, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. So he's talking about when Jerusalem was overrun, if, the, if Titus hadn't came in, if he hadn't stopped the fighting, if he hadn't brought some order back, nobody would have lived through it. No Jews would have lived through it. Not one. But he says, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Verse 24, For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And I'll just tell you, those who are elect, those who are followers, true followers of Jesus, will not be led astray. It's an impossibility. So, we find out in Romans 11, why did it happen this way? Romans chapter 11 I'm going to read verses 25 through 27. Romans chapter 11, verses 25 through 27. I'll give you just a second to get there. Romans chapter 11, 25 through 27. I think this is important for you to know and understand what's going on here. Some of you already know. This will just be a little bit of a refresher for you. Romans 11, 25 through 27. How come it happened this way? How come all the Jews, how come everybody in Rome or everybody in Jerusalem wasn't wiped out? wasn't any accident. God had a purpose in it. Amen? What does God not have a purpose in? He has a purpose in everything. Romans eleven twenty five. Let you be wise in your own sight, lest you be wise in your own sight. I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in, and in this way all Israel will be saved. As it is written... The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. There, there was a blindness. There was a hardness. And in part, it happened to Israel. And this blindness fell on most, if not all, the Jews. Until what? The fullness of the Gentiles have come in. He is dealing right now in this day and time with us with us as Gentiles, as 
non-Jews. There's going to come a time when that remnant of Jews that was spared in Jerusalem and has gone back, he's going to deal with the Jews again. And he's going to deal with the Jews again just like he deals with us through Christ Jesus and our sinfulness and our need for a Savior. That time is coming. There has been a time now, a couple of thousand years, where the Gentiles are the visible church. That's who the church is made up of. The visible church is the Gentiles. While the Jews are somewhat out, he's dealing with the Gentiles to be brought in. Three little points on this. On that day, that day, the last day, Jerusalem will no longer be trodden down by the Gentiles. Listen to me carefully. At that time, the Lord will be through with the Gentiles, and on that day, the church will be comprised of Jews and Gentiles, what? Together. Now, that's always already happening in a small number. There are Jews coming to Christ. But it'll happen in a big number on that day. So there's a period for us to be dealt with. And can't we all say amen? Aren't you glad he dealt with us? Look at Isaiah 1.9. If the Lord of hosts had not left us a few survivors, we should have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what? The Lord of hosts left a few survivors. He stopped the killing. What this means is that if God had not put a stop to the calamities, not one Jew would have survived. It was bad. Listen, you can't imagine. You, we, we, will, we have no way of... Just read the Old Testament. And David and his men killed 20,000 other soldiers. Or David and his men killed 40,000. We, we can't fathom 20, 40,000 people killed in a battle. Well, this, this is nothing to what the end time's going to look like. Thirds of the population destroyed. Death. We can't imagine the death that's going to happen. And every one of those Jews could have been destroyed in Jerusalem, but God had a remnant He was protecting. Isaiah 10 and 22. For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea. You remember that? How numerous would they be? How numerous did He tell Abraham they would be? As the grains of the sand. But here we are in this place called Jerusalem, and they're about to be wiped out. Where did they all go? For though your people Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will return. Destruction is decreed, overflowing with righteousness. So when God destroys a nation, are y'all listening? So when God comes at judgment, there will be a remnant that are His. Some of those He will keep. Some of those will be spared at that other time. Some of those others will be taken at what we would call an untimely time. Listen, God will always deliver His church either from here to heaven or deliver us from the enemy. Did y'all hear me? 
no matter the wrath of God, He will preserve His. This is what happened when Titus and the Romans came over the wall. He spared some. That's why today, listen, think about this. Out of the mass of humanity, how many billion? A bunch of people that are still lost. Somebody say amen. Billions are lost. They are a few, a small percentage that are His. He, what does God always deal with? Give, give me that word. The remnant. Somebody said, it's a, it's, it, almost any time, if you're in the majority, you're probably in the wrong spot. Just remember, just because you're with a majority doesn't mean you're right. You're not right unless you're lined up right here. Amen? All right, so let's kind of finish this discussion about His up. Salvation being solely of His electing and His grace. Mark 13, 20. Just listen, don't try to turn there. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect whom He chose, He shortened the days. A part of the nation was preserved, and out of them, God would have His out of those preserved. Yet, His coming would be quite different. So we've looked at, we've looked at uh, who's, go, who's going to be preserved, and we'll wrap it up in a second. Now we're going to look at the event of His coming is going to be sudden. Look at verse 27. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west... So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, their vultures will gather. Well, you know the question that everybody asks, and we'll look at it just, just briefly. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will be. So uh, let me just kind of give you this. So what do we know living out in the country in South Arkansas? Okay? If you see the buzzard circling, okay, and they're getting lower to the ground, and there's more and more of them. What do you know for certain is down there? Something dead. Okay. Well, what, if just the bottom line, at the time that Jerusalem was destroyed, at the end of time when Christ comes back, there's going to be lots of death. Death everywhere. Death, I mean, death in such a way that Man, we hope we're gone. Because death, how would you deal with that kind of death? So anywhere there's death, anywhere there's vultures, there's been what? Death. Simply, where the destruction, where desolation is, there will be death. Jerusalem destroyed. Justice Sure as the vultures gather together means a carcass, there will be widespread death at the time Christ comes. Now look, man, I want to be a pre-trib guy. I don't want no part of this. I hope that's the way it goes down. But regardless how it goes down, I want you to be (sighs) 
Now, there's disagreements on this, and we'll flesh this out over the next few, few weeks, right? But remember, be... Okay. All right, now look. The coming of the Son of Man. There's varied interpretations. Some think this coming of the Son of Man here was speaking of Him coming to destroy Jerusalem. Wherever the corpse is, these same interpreters make the carcass, listen to this, mentioned to be the body of the Jewish nation that was destroyed at that time. The majority of the Jews were destroyed. The nation that was being destroyed. The eagles, the vultures being the Roman armies. Job 39, 30 says, His young ones suck up blood, and where the slain is, there is he. Speaking of, again of the Roman armies, Habakkuk 1, 8, Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening woods, evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen coming afar, they fly like an eagle swift to devour. This is speaking of the Chaldeans. Coming like the vultures to devour. Some understand by the coming of Christ here. His coming in His spiritual kingdom. So this is in the dispensation that we're in that some think. He's come and the gospel message is going to spread throughout the world. This is another thinking. The preaching of the gospel be like lightning that goes throughout the earth. It happened really at the time of the apostles. You know, they went out, they, they really, the gospel went suddenly throughout the whole known world at that time. The sheep will be gathered to him everywhere the gospel is preached. Amen. Others will be destroyed. And then there are others who understand it of Christ coming in judgment the last day, like lightness for the suddenness and universality of it. I don't know how it's going to be that as far east as you can see, as far west as you're seeing, it's going to be sudden one time and everybody's going to see it. That's got to be only something God could do. Amen? Look at Luke 17, 20, or listen to Luke 17, 24. I'm just reading the scripture. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will be the Son of Man in His day. Is lightning pretty sudden? Luke 17, 37. And they said to Him, Where, Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is what Luke says. Christ will gather the saints, amen, while the lost will be devoured. Jeannie is uh, reading a, a grace broadcaster on heaven. We need to teach this to the world. The heavens, heavens are not for everybody. The heavens are for His. The heavens are for His, the believers, not for everybody. So this is what Luke is referring to. His coming will be sudden startling, y'all listening, visible to all. If we're still here, it will be exhilarating. There he is. There's the one we've been looking for. Listen carefully. And at that moment, it will be a terrifying sight to the lost. They'll know at that moment they weren't ready. So, will we be ready? 
and, and I've only, I've just got a tad, but it's so important you're able to focus right here. Every day, every day, we should be striving to be ready. Every day, every day. Looking for His return, expecting His return, ready for His return. So I want to summarize it by looking quickly at the assurance of our salvation and the suddenness of His return. This is the part I want you to get. We are blessed people to know that if we're ready, we do not have to fear the return of Christ. Are you with me? There's no fear for those who are in Christ. There's no fear for those who are His. There's no fear that for those that belong to God Almighty through the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no fear for us. What a blessing. So how secure are we? Well, verses 22 and 24 speak of this. If it were possible, even the elect would be led astray. Listen, it is impossible for one of His to be led astray. Are you with me? Christ is not going to let it happen. He's not going to let it happen. His blood paid for him. He's not going to let it happen. Hang tight now. So what is happening here? You know, there's that scripture in Hebrews that talks about that if you, if you were once saved and you gave up your salvation, it's impossible uh, to regain it again. You know that, that crazy scripture? Well, this is the same type of thing. It's just, it's just trying to make you think so deeply about his reappearing that you ought to be scared that it even might remotely be possible for you to lose it. You don't want to lose it. Okay, so Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. Now, if you could, I'm teaching you you can't, but if you could, you would, you would get rid of any hindrance, any worldly things, any sin to be ready. It's that important that you are ready. Now listen carefully. Christ is exhorting you to keep watch. That's a good sign. You're keeping watch. Do not be shook up with what's going on. Don't get distracted. I told you, the scripture tells you, it would be bad and get worse. Listen, do not, listen, this is the word that just kind of been all over me for since I've been in this scripture do not let your unconcern be your downfall. Do not let, do not think that because you're not concerned, it's not going to happen. So what would be your concerns that would cause this to happen. Mark 4, 19. But the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. 
be concerned, be ready. He is coming again. Fathers, you're responsible for the well-being of your wife and your children. Moms, if dad's not doing it, you be concerned for their souls. Listen to me. He is coming again. I tell you, I'm obviously not a rocket scientist. I don't know why he hadn't come already. He's coming. No matter the frail condition of the believer, did you hear me? Or the slippery slope, there's something holding every believer. You hear me? There is something, there is somebody holding every believer. Look at John 1.4. Listen. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. That one that's in you, Christ Jesus, he's keeping you. You're not keeping yourself. Nobody nor anything can snatch the child of God from the hand of God. John 10, 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You are, if you are a child of God, if you are His, you are secure because you are in His very hands. Oh, what a great doctrine. The security of the believer. Philippians 1, 6. For I'm sure of this. That he, Christ, who began a good work in you, will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Listen, Christ never started one thing he's not going to finish. He started to, he started to live the life that we needed him to live. He started to the cross. He got on that cross. He finished it. Listen, he's going to finish it. He's going to bring his home with him. Wow, I love that doctrine. I don't think we talk about heaven enough, and I don't think we talk about the security we have in Christ enough. It's something to rejoice in. Just be sure you're His. The permanency of our salvation does not depend on us. It depends on the secret election of God. It depends on the keeping of God. For the Father has given us to the Son, and the Son declares... Listen to John 17, 12. Today's Bible reading. Today's one-year Bible reading. This verse is there. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the Scripture might be filled. How many have been lost? Not one. You won't be the first one. So... Do we have some security in our salvation? What I call it, the assurance of our salvation. Listen, if you're saved, you're saved. If you're not, I can't lose you. You can't even lose yourself. But examine yourself. Make sure you are a child of God. There will be some evidences. I'll tell you that. How about that? So what we're looking for is a what? A sudden event. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of the Man. Can you imagine that? Just imagine that. It'd be great to be in a cemetery. Great. 
And all of a sudden, all of this going on, and the trumpet, and there he is. And you just can't wait. And all these other people are looking for a rock to hide under, a crevice to crawl in. Don't believe a lie. If any of us are here when he comes, we'll know it. Otherwise, it's not him. More on this to come next week, okay? So, are we? You know, I can look at you and I can surmise, right? Only you know. Only you know. Ask God. He won't lie to you. Huh? Get off somewhere by yourself and ask God, am I ready? Death, burial, resurrection, judgment, eternity. If he doesn't come, that's where we're all headed. What does Christ have to do with our lives? Listen to me. If we're ready, you'll be able to answer this question. What does Christ have to do with my life? What part, what part does Christ play in my everyday life? Next, who do we say he is? Have we repented and believed the gospel? Have we stopped going our way to go his way? Have we put aside those sins that killed him on the cross? Have we put aside those habitual sins that are always after us or that little sin popped up and you're angry with your wife, you speak harsh words to your wife? Have we repented of those sins? And are we continually repenting? Repent. Believe the gospel. Have you, have you confessed and do you understand that you contribute sin? You are the sinner and that you need a Savior. And if you confess Christ, you are the only Savior. If I have a Savior, it is you, Lord Jesus. And lastly, are there evidences in our lives that we're followers of Jesus? Now, you know, it's, it's trivial, but I'll say it. If you were tried in uh, whatever district, circuit court this is that we're living in, would there be enough evidence to convict you of being a follower of Jesus? God bless you.